Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And thank you, Steve, for that wonderful introduction. This is the Nonprofit Coach uh, with Ted Hart, but today is a very special day. Today we launch officially the first edition of the AFP Wiley Radio Series. I'm very excited to have this partnership with the Association of Fundraising Professionals and the Wiley Fund Development Series. And our first lecture, to, or first uh, uh, author today, uh, will be Kay Sprinkle Grace, and she will be in pa- on page two as our expert today. The way that this works is every single uh, sh- uh, month uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, through the end of 2011 we will have a author uh, who has been specifically chosen as one of the leaders in our industry to have their book placed in the AFP Wiley Fund Development Series. So only those books will be promoted the third week of each month. And so this is our inaugural uh, session today for the AFP Wiley Radio Session. Now, to call in today, you'll be able to call in and ask a question of our guest, Kay Sprinkle Grace, by dialing 347-324-3080. Uh, you can also ask questions over in the chat room, uh, or you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Now, one of the very special things that are going to happen uh, today on the show and on each show uh, for the AFP Wiley radio show uh, is going to be a giveaway. Uh, and today, uh, as I've mentioned, we do have Kay Sprinkle Grace as our page two expert. We will be giving away uh, a copy of the Beyond Fundraising second edition. Now, you're going to need to call in uh, to win this book, so make sure that you uh, are dialing in at 347-324-3080. Make sure you press number one to raise your hand and let me know that you're ready to ask a question. Today is Tuesday, December 21st. I am coming to you live from the nation's capital. It is a bright, sunny, but chilly day. And as always, we start the show with page one. First 
up here on page one news. President Obama announced last week the creation of a council to advise the federal government on ways to promote innovative social projects and get more people involved in civic affairs. The new White House Council for Community Solutions has been established by executive order and will be headed by the former chief executive of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Patty Stonecipher, who is now chair of the Smithsonian Institution Board and will include 24 other nonprofit foundation and business leaders as members. Now, this new White House Council for Community Solutions will be housed over in the Corporation for National and Community Service. Now, in the announcement, the White House statement said, the council, quote, the council will provide advice to the president on the best ways to mobilize citizens, nonprofits, businesses, and government to work more effectively together to solve specific community needs. So we're very excited about this new addition of a focus in the federal government on the nonprofit sector and our role in providing community service. Uh, as always, uh, you can find all of these links over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. That particular article comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Now, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is uh, just a reminder uh, that, again, today is the launch of our brand-new radio series called the AFP Wiley Radio Series. Um, and so we will have our first guest expert uh, from that series on page two uh, today. Back here on uh, the news is just a reminder, and this again comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy, is that the IRS plans to continue to step up its scrutiny of nonprofit organizations. Over the last, uh, from 2008 to 2009, there was a 30% increase in the number of charities being audited from 7,861 in 2008 to 10,187 in 2009. Now, in 2010, the number jumped up another 12% uh, to nearly 11,000 500 charity audits. Now, as most of you are aware, and those who have been listeners, uh, you are very much aware of the fact that there is a new uh, redesigned Form 990 required of nonprofits uh, to file here in the United States. Now, in 2008 tax year, for instance, organizations with gross receipts of 25000 to $1 million and assets of less than $2.5 million can now file the Form 990 easy. This has led to a big change in the number of groups that have filed the regular Form 990 on paper fell 51% from tax year 2007 to 2008. Meanwhile, the number of Form 990 EZ paper uh, returns shot up by 80%. One of the big areas of scrutiny is employment taxes. Um, so one of the best pieces of advice that we can give you here is to make sure that you are uh, deploying the very best business practices. Uh, as a charitable organization, you do need to make sure that you are filing appropriately uh, with the federal government and certainly be in contact with the IRS uh, or do your own research at irs.gov if you have any questions about what you should be reporting 
when, and how. Now, up here on the nonprofit coach, I'm very, very pleased to bring um, a uh, good friend of this show uh, back on uh, the, the nonprofit coach today. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, on December 7th, we had the privilege of having Penelope Burke as our page two expert, and that was a really fantastic show, one of the, 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 the top podcast listeners uh, uh, for the nonprofit coach. And today, uh, Penelope Burke is coming back here on page one for a big announcement about the next wave of Penelope Burke's research. So, Penelope, are you here with us on the Nonprofit Coach? I am, Ted. Hi. Hey, it's great to have you back here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, with Ted Hart. Today we celebrate the launch of AFP Wiley Radio, uh, which is the third week of each month. It will be a special radio uh, series. And you're here on page one to make a special announcement about the kind of research that you do and how folks can get involved with that. What's going on and what's new with Penelope Burke? Well, Ted, we're about to launch our third annual Cygnus Donor Survey, uh, and this is a huge uh, annual research study involving over 15,000 donors in Canada and the U.S. where we ask them what's happening with their philanthropy, how they're changing the ways in which they give, how the economy is affecting them, how their relationships with charitable organizations they support is altering how they give. And it's a very wide-ranging research study. And this year, besides updating our philanthropic statistics, we're going down two new avenues. Uh, we're going to be finding out from donors how social media is not just impacting their relationships with charitable organizations, but whether it is having a real and tangible impact on giving. I think that's an area that hasn't been researched adequately. Uh, yet, and well, we're very excited about this. I'm just going to ask you to move a little bit closer to your microphone. You're a little bit faint uh, here on the show today, but um, you, we did get a chance to uh, to chat a little bit about this new addition to your research. Of course, your research has been very powerful for a number of years, and, and uh, you're staying right here on the cutting edge, uh, and we appreciate you bringing this announcement to the nonprofit coach today. Now, how can our listeners make sure that they're involved and in making uh, sure that your research is as complete as possible? Well, sorry for the bad connection. I'm in the mall because I'm one of those last-minute shoppers. <laughs> uh, but uh, I wanted to say that we have we've uh, uh, already secured 50 not-for-profit partners. They are prominent uh, universities. NGOs, arts organizations, uh, the full gamut, who will reach out to their donors in February and ask them to go online to complete our survey. So we already will be, um, we, our partners have been secured to reach out to a million donors already, uh, which will yield about 15 to 20,000 respondents. But we still have room for a few more partners if anyone wants to join us. They can go straight to our research, www.cygresearch.com, uh, uh, and right from the home page, you can connect to a landing page to sign up to be a partner or just to get more information. The real advantage that's for, great. So again, uh, that's cygresearch. Is that .com or .org? That's .com. Yeah. CYGresearch.com for those who want to help out and make sure that you have the broadest array of input into this research. Now, Penelope, I'm, I'm really excited about this, but I understand that you're planning to come back here on the Nonprofit Coach in March 
uh, and actually use this forum as one of the outlets uh, for the early release of data from uh, this new research. Is that correct? You're right, Ted. We're going to launch the results of, uh, well, probably as much as you want, but definitely uh, the social media section where I know you have a particular interest as do your listeners. Uh, so that, that should be pretty exciting, brand new research. That is going to be a very exciting show for us, and uh, we can't uh, thank you enough. That, uh, on, uh, in March, uh, we're going to have Penelope Burke back here on the Nonprofit Coach as the page two guest expert uh, for the uh, announcement and release of this new research and data. I can hardly, ho I hardly wait. Uh, I almost feel like uh, for, for those of us in the nonprofit social media market, Christmas is going to be put off uh, until, until March, but I understand you're shopping. We're we're going to let you uh, finish up uh, with your family. You have a wonderful holiday season, yes, and thank you for coming on and making this announcement today. You'll be glad to know, Ted, I've already got your socks. Ah, good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, you uh, travel safe and have a wonderful holiday season. That was Penelope Burke uh, coming to us here on the Nonprofit Coach to make the announcement that she is starting research on her next round, uh, and uh, she'll be back here on the Nonprofit Coach as a page two expert to actually announce the findings of that new research. So we're quite excited, uh, and thank you to Penelope Burke for that growing partnership here with the nonprofit coach. Back here on uh, page one uh, for the here on the nonprofit coach uh, is a really nice little booklet, not very big, about ten pages from Sage Nonprofit Solutions. These are tips and tools for effective year-end fundraising, templates, worksheets, and examples. Nice little booklet there. You can download that for free, of course, over at the radio links at tedhartradio.com. And you know, here at year-end, we're all looking for opportunities uh, to give back and to uh, uh, provide uh, service to others. And one of the requests we have here at the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is for all of our listeners to consider helping support the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. This has really been a labor of love for a lot of months. You can go to tedhartradio.com and listen to all of the shows for free. Download those podcasts. You can even add them to your iPod and take us along to the gym with you if you would like. Uh, but there are a lot of expenses related, and so we are asking folks uh, to help sponsor the radio show. And you can do that by just clicking and learning all about the opportunities to promote your product services and organizations using the nonprofit coach and you'll find all the details right there under the radio links at tedhartradio.com now we are now here at the end of uh, page one which means we are going full force into page two <laughs> One of the distinct privileges of doing this show is having the opportunity to spend time on air with really dear friends of mine in the nonprofit sector. In case Brinkle Grace, I not only have a friend, but a mentor, someone who has uh, been it with us in the nonprofit sector for a long time as a thought leader, as someone who has helped really fashion uh, for us 
what are those best practices. She is well known uh, as a San Francisco-based organizational consultant, providing workshops and consultation all around the world. As a matter of fact, I rarely see her in San Francisco. Uh, I generally see her somewhere else uh, in the world. She is very much in demand uh, for strategic development planning, uh, case and board development, staff development, other issues related to leadership in the fundraising process. As I said today, uh, Kay Sprinkle Grace is our very first guest on the AFP Wiley radio show here as part of the Nonprofit Coach. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach, Kay Sprinkle Grace. Yes, Ted, can you hear me? I can. I can just uh, get a little bit closer. I'm, I'm, I'm noticing folks are a little bit faint today. But, Kay, it is a distinct pleasure uh, to have you here on the Nonprofit Coach. Well, I am so excited to do this, and I just want to reinforce uh, to the listeners um, <clears throat> your just incredible contribution to the field. I, I love working with you, and I'm so happy that we can be leaders together in shaping the the next generation of nonprofits, and I think you really have been kind of the flag bearer in that. And so I, I'm very honored to be the first of the Wiley AFP speakers or you are, you are, and, and one of the uh, the distinct privileges that we have as part of this new partnership with the AFP Wiley Fund Development Series is the opportunity to give away a copy of your book uh, beyond fundraising. We're going to talk about this book because it is a very important uh, aspect of uh, uh, that's available here uh, in the nonprofit sector is that people can get a copy of this book. Now, the way that's going to work is we're actually going to give away uh, this copy to uh, the third person who calls in and the first caller that we take here on the show today. So uh, make sure that you dial in to 347-324-3080. I'll be watching the switchboard. Uh, the third person to dial in today uh, will be our first caller and will win a copy of Beyond Fundraising Second edition, new strategies for nonprofit innovation and investment. Now, Kay, what I want to do is actually start off with sort of the, the, the bedrock of the work that you do, because you, you are well-known in a lot of sectors. You are really considered one of the foremost experts in providing strategy uh, to PBS stations uh, and many other uh, forms of organizations. Give us a little bit of insight into what makes Kay Sprinkle Grace so good at what she does. Well, thank you for that. I, I think that certainly reflecting on the PBS experience, which was a project I did that was funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting over a three-year period, and I think what was really exciting for the stations was that they realized it wasn't about them. And, of course, pledge and membership is always about them, and, in fact, that it was about the need they were meeting, not the needs they had. And a lot of their messages were all about how much money they needed to keep going. And they began this wonderful shift over to articulating what it is they do and the importance of it, not from the institutional standpoint, but from the community standpoint. And I was able to convey to them the things that anybody will find in Beyond Fundraising, that people give to you because you meet needs, not because you have needs. So kind of get over it. You know, It's not about meeting right. your budget. It's about meeting the needs in the community. 
And the second is that a gift to you is really a gift through you into the community, which is why we have to convey impact. Uh, people want to, in particular, I was interested in your um, review of the numerous changes in the law that have happened already and are going to keep happening. And part of it is that we have not really been very good at expressing our impact. We have talked about reach, but we haven't talked about impact. So those were some of the key ideas. And even now, I mean, the program has been done for three years, began six years ago, and even now I still get calls from stations that will say, gee, would you take a look at this? You know, are we positioning this right? And this is great. This is exactly how I would love people to think about it. My work, which was largely informed by the work of the late um, Hank Rosso, uh, who was um, the founder of the fundraising school, which is now part of Indiana University Center on Philanthropy. But Hank really impressed on all of us this different view of mission, that mission isn't what you do, it's why you do what you do. And I continue to work with organizations, large and small, in helping them express their mission in that way, and it's tough, you know, because we're used to saying that a mission is what we do. And no, that's not going to capture people in terms of getting the attention of a donor. Um, they've got to understand why it is that we, you know, that we are wanting their investment. Okay, in, uh, in this book that we're going to be giving away today, this is uh, Beyond Fundraising, uh, second edition. And one of the things I found really interesting um, uh, about uh, several things I found about this book very interesting um, is that you specifically sought to uh, write this book for volunteers and staff throughout the world. And, and obviously uh, you go on and, and, and provide a lot of advice for uh, fundraisers and development professionals. But, but you had a specific segment uh, of our community uh, in mind. Tell me a little bit more about uh, how that came about and why you've, uh, you've really decided that's a focus for Beyond Fundraising. Well, I believe that the more integrated, uh, if I'm understanding your question correctly, I believe that the more integrated we can work as team uh, with staff and boards, and I think that the more successful we're going to be. And after all, the board is the distillation of the community's interests represented in the people that sit around a boardroom table and make decisions that affect not only the future of the organization, but if you've continue the loop, but that affects the, the community and what is offered, what children's services are offered or aging services. I felt that most books were written either for the professional or for the board member. And that as we did a literature scan, there weren't too many that really focused on this teamwork and the power of partnership. And more than that, I think putting it in really layman's language where people could understand it. And then with my own experience working overseas, which you kindly uh, referenced, um, I had also had the experience of living in Western Europe for six months in 1995-96. And I really, because I was working in a development position with an American organization in France, I really got to see kind of firsthand some of the struggles that my counterparts in a group called EU Consults, what they were dealing with in terms of absolutely 
no idea about how to engage boards. Boards actually served a very different function. So part of the mission of my book, if you will, was to make this something that a board member in France or in the UK or in Prague uh, could read and say, oh, well, I could do that. I think that the biggest shift that I have seen in philanthropy since I became involved is that we've removed the mystery from it. And that is both good and bad. It's um, bad for some organizations who'd like to keep the mystery going. But for most part, people say, oh, oh, is that what it is? And when you say to them something as simple, for instance, with volunteers, that people give to you because you meet needs, not because you have needs, it's like the scales are you know, just removed from their eyes because they had felt that we were begging organizations, which is why I have a chapter in the book called Putting Away the Tin Cup. Uh, we historically have, I think, given the perception that the reason we're out in the community asking for money is because we're desperate for money. No, we're not out in the community asking for money because we're desperate for money. We're asking because people in the community need our work, whether it's the arts, education, human or social services. So the thrust of the book became, and particularly in the revised edition, became how do we integrate this? How do we make this seamless so that the board, the staff work together? It's easy to digest. It's easy to understand. And, you know, in my work with boards, I've now taken it one step further in terms of kind of a management tool for working with boards so that their execution of the things that I suggest becomes even more of a confidence-generating activity. But in this book... So the investment is, is very, very uh, in, important here. Okay, we've oh, got uh, our uh, first uh, uh, question here uh, okay. coming in, and this is the winner of, uh, of your book, uh, Beyond Fundraising, second edition. Uh, caller, you are here live on The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. You're live here with Case Sprinkle Grace. Uh, what's your name? Um, good afternoon. My name is um, Prosper Rodney Jennings um, from the Power for Getting the Show. Great show, great topic because I'm in ministry and I have a, you know, when God, you know, you're in, you're in ministry and you have a vision and you have a goal, um, what, um, you know, I contact several people and a lot of times it could be confused. It could be confusing because you don't know where to start as whether you want to get incorporated or do the 501, you know, 3C, how to fundraise, how to find the right people. Are they really grants? I'm sorry, I didn't catch your first name. What's your first name? My first name is Prophetess Rosalind Jennings. And okay. My, and um, are, are, is your organization currently a 501c3 organization? No, that's why I'm asking the question. Like, what? Okay. Well, Kay, why don't why don't uh, why don't we give some advice here on how do we get started? How so? It, it sounds like you you have a, a mission. Uh, you have a plan to want to do great work. Um, how, how does that get turned into an organization, and, and what are some of the requirements? Is that is that something Kay can help you with today? That's correct. That's correct. Sure. Um, okay, great. Kay, go ahead. On that. Yeah, I'd be happy to comment on that. And, Ted, please come in yourself. Um, I think the first thing that I recommend, only because there are <clears throat> nearly 1.5 million nonprofits in the U.S., um, there are about 1.2 million um, 
501c3s that are are non-religious, and then there are another 300,000 that are incorporated as a religious 501c3. So what I recommend first is find out if there's anybody else doing what you want to do. Because the best thing we can do in terms of the donor and in terms of the community is to take our energy and vision and perhaps bring it to an existing organization, thereby bringing them new funding and being able to implement the kinds of <clears throat> the kinds of things you dream about. If there is no other organization that is doing what you do, then you need to contact the Secretary of State in your state, um, which I didn't, I didn't get which state you live in, but you need to contact the Secretary of State, and there's a process. Uh, you have to be, uh, you have to qualify as a 501c3 both with the state and the federal, and so you'll get two different letters. Uh, for that, you need articles of incorporation and bylaws. You need a board. Uh, you need to have a, an enlisted board. Once you get your 501c3, some organizations put it off until they've already gotten the 501c3. Others get the group together before they do that. And so there's both a, there's a legal process, but then there is also um, just kind of making your work known in the community. And I always believe that in addition to kind of the looking out and seeing who else is doing what you would like to do. I think it's really important to get a focus group in the community among the people that you might want to engage and just to, you know, talk about the idea with them, get some of their feedback. I think, One of the things, Penelope... I think, Kay, I think that's really solid uh, uh, advice in that for, for a lot of folks and certainly for our, our caller, um, is to um, you know, keep in mind this is a business uh, that you're looking to create, a nonprofit that is not going to be required to pay uh, federal income tax, but nonetheless a business uh, that will have to have all of the various aspects of a business in terms of accounting and, and uh, transparency uh, and checks and balances and, and all things of that sort. Um, so it, I think it is really solid advice to you know, take a look at whether or not your mission can be met by partnering with someone who already has that apparatus in place. Uh, and then if you choose, um, the, the, uh, the laws, uh, the federal laws, of course, are the same throughout the country, but there are requirements uh, state by state, particularly if you're going to need to do fundraising. Um, and one of my favorite websites, Kay, um, is uh, multistatefiling.com, uh, and that's a, a really terrific uh, website where you literally can click on the state and go and find the office in that state uh, that oversees that, that aspect of uh, both fundraising and nonprofit work, and that way you can make sure that you've got the, the best advice uh, and the, the best contact within your own state. Yeah, and I'd add, one, you in? To that, I'd add one to that, and that is that uh, Craigslist Foundation has some very helpful information on starting your own nonprofit. Yeah, Craigslist Foundation, and particularly, ma'am, Craigslist Foundation is very well um, skilled at helping small organizations yeah. get started. Uh, what state are you in? Uh, Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, all right. Okay, so you're, you're in Maryland. Um, so, yeah, you, you definitely want to be in touch with the folks in Annapolis um, so that you can get your organization up and running if, as Kay said, there isn't someone already doing your work. Now, you have uh, – you are the uh, – 
uh, beneficiary of the very first book being given away as part of the AFP Wiley Fund Development Series. This is the Case Sprinkle Grace book, Beyond Fundraising. And the way that you're going to get this book uh, is you're going to send me an email at tedhart at tedhart.com and reference the phone number that you're dialing from. Uh, so that I can match that up to my switchboard and know that you are the caller, you are the person who won this book. Uh, so I'll just need your address so that we can mail you uh, your copy of the book. So congratulations on that. Did, did you have a follow-up uh, question for Kay? Or did she answer your question? Yes. My my main thing, I, I understand that, but my main thing, how do you uh, um, find or, I guess, contact the right the right people to help you help help you with your vision. I seem like that's been a struggle besides the financial part as well. Well, I think that that is one of the reasons to do um, like a focus group in your community. I mean, you have people, if you think of the whole donor universe as concentric circles, right in the center of that universe, is you <laughs> and the other visionaries that are are you know putting this together and then who's in that next circle out who shares your interests who is involved with any existing organization from which this may be uh, a derived organization and then as you go further out you get people who are less and less connected but what you want to do is you want to get people from that center circle and from the next circle out, you want to get them around the table and talk about this, you know, kind of invest them with the vision and see what their response is because um, you don't want to – we are ultimately, as Ted says, we are ultimately financially responsible. Um, and it's, it's not even so much a matter of the fact that we have to be accountable and transparent, which we do. But if you start something and you can't make it work, then the very people for whom you started this, in other words, the people that you serve, they then are denied something that they have become very excited about and are feeling that this is going to be really helpful. And I always grieve when organizations, you know, fail to thrive and have to go, you know, have to just dissolve as an organization because it, it is, of course, it's terrible for the employees, but it's worse for the people that they set out to serve. And we had a, a feeding program here in San Francisco, thank goodness, another sturdier feeding program rescued because it was serving a distinct population that would have been jeopardized had they not um, stepped in and helped out. So you, there's a lot to this. This is, it's, you know, you can't enter into this you know why you know unadvisedly this is a huge responsibility and i think that this is um extremely uh important to either affiliate with another larger organization i mean ted and i have worked with a group of ministries that is you know national and international but many of those are just they're tucked in under somebody else's 501c3 which is something that you can do. You can still raise the money, have the programs, but being tucked in under somebody else's 501c3 gives you the opportunity to let someone else kind of be responsible for the accounting and the transparency and the business side of it. But 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, good questions. Thank there you. are a lot of details to uh, to yeah. to think about, but uh, we do wish you well uh, in starting your your new organization. And of course, uh, uh, as always, it's putting the mission first and making sure that those who are in need of your service can continue to count on uh, the work that you do. Thank you for your thank time. you for joining us here on uh, yes, the nonprofit coach, and thank you and for your question. <laughs> Yeah, and enjoy enjoy the book, exactly. Yeah, so don't forget to send me that email uh, so that we can make sure that we get uh, your copy of the book uh, off to you. Again, send that to Ted Hart, T-E-D-H-A-R-T, at tedhart.com with your mailing address and the phone number that you dialed in from uh, today. Uh, I've got uh, a really uh, distinct opportunity uh, here, uh, uh, Kay, and that is uh, I want to draw attention. You you did me a, a great service and, and really made me very, very proud. Um, a few years ago, uh, when you agreed to write the foreword, to uh, to one of uh, my new books, uh, and that's a book called Major Donors, uh, Finding Big Gifts in Your Database that's and right. Online. And I just want to share uh, for our listeners um, one of the uh, the things that, uh, that that you said in uh, in that book, uh, and that is uh, you said philanthropy is in a new renewed golden age. People want to help make a difference, ensure that things they value will flourish. We have to look to new tools, new strategies, new donors. Just when I thought I had read everything new on big gifts, uh, Ted Hart sent me this manuscript. Uh, It is innovative, uh, comprehensive, powerful, informative, strong in its message and information, and an important contribution to the literature of this growing and important part of global philanthropy. And that and that's specific on the topic of major uh, donors. Um, can, can, can I ask you how that message dovetails into Beyond Fundraising? Uh, yes, actually, that it's a very good dovetail. Because the principles, and I guess one of the things that's really important to me as a professional working with organizations of all sizes, of all capacity, and it is, again, as I was taught by my mentor, it's all a matter of zeros. You don't change your strategies, um, I'm sorry, you don't change your philosophy from donor to donor to donor, like we're going to treat um, the smaller donor this way, ah, but the larger donor we're really going to treat this way. These are the messages for the smaller donors. These are the messages for the larger donors. What we need to do is have something that is very, very consistent. We need to figure out what it is about us that is what people are going to be interested in um, affiliating with. And I always go back to that marvelous story from Black and Decker, the um, you know the, the the home shop tool people, and they would ask their trainees. They would say, "Why do people buy a Black and Decker drill?" And the trainees would say, "Well, they buy a drill because they want a drill." But that's of course not the answer. People buy a drill because they want a hole. And so what we have to do is make sure that we have defined that whole. In other words, what is it that we create in the community that is valid, that is valuable, and from the, very, from the point of entry, that very first gift, to the point of exit, to that planned gift, to that major gift, we have to be sure that our messages are consistent. The golden age, the new tools for philanthropy, we somehow, and I think this is why your book was just such a breakthrough, Ted, 
is that we somehow equated kind of the new media, the social media, all of the different tools that we had, the new strategies that emerged and you are such an expert with, that in fact we thought that applied to like entry-level donors. You know, these are this is how people are going to access us. And this is the, the, the citizen philanthropist sitting there at his or her laptop and deciding that they're going to give. And we didn't think of it with major gifts. Well, I can tell you about countless huge gifts. I am talking, you know, up nudging at into, you know, $50, 60000000 million gifts that, in fact, ultimately were tested by the donor against what they read about the organization, the access they had to media about the organization. But even more interesting, and getting back to kind of the clunky role of email that it still plays, I know of one gift that was almost entirely negotiated by email. Now, the the organization to whom this man was giving was one he was extremely familiar with. He used to teach there. He knew them, and he knew the person that he was dealing with. But the point is that these tools that you are so adept with and that everybody now is so adept with, they are the ones that are going to be terribly effective with all levels of our donors. And what what we find in terms of the principles and beyond fundraising, which are basically that all philanthropy is based in values um, and that people don't give to, ask for, join, or serve any organization whose values they don't share, that relationships are the most important thing. I just got a report from one of the media services that I work with, and it just said, you know, they did the analysis of the online giving and the related activities for this last year. The headline of the article is, Relationships Are Still the Most Important. And so what we're finding is that just as you want to... And isn't it interesting, Kay, that, that that seems like that would be the news? Yeah. Exactly. So, something that we that you and I have been saying forever is that Absolutely. it doesn't matter the technology, it doesn't matter the technique, it matters about the relationship. It matters about the relationship. And, I mean, this was, you know, like the, the, the headline hot report, you know, coming in. And, um, and it was, it's, of course, wonderful always to be reinforced. Uh, you know, you like to know that, that people agree with you. But, it just gets down to the fact that in Beyond Fundraising, we emphasize relationships. The social media have provided us with a platform for maintaining those relationships that is effective, it can be tailored, it is inexpensive. And I tell my clients, you get those people into your database, you figure out exactly what they're interested in, and you start communicating with them. You give them their own web page. So if you work in the area of violence prevention and you work in health, education, um, you know, working with kids directly, teen programs, find out what I'm interested in. And when I go on my own little website in your, org- in your larger website, I want to have this, the material that comes up. I want it to be what I'm interested in. And we, <laughs> we had a wonderful thing, and Ted, I think you've heard me say this before, but when we were interviewing people before the Corporation for Public Broadcasting Initiative with the public television stations, they had lost a million members net uh, over a 10-year period, and obviously they wanted to stanch the flow. And so they decided to interview people 
who had failed to renew their support. And the the answers were pretty predictable, but one woman absolutely said it all. When they said, what would it take to get you back as a member of your station? She said, they'd have to show me that they know me. And the thing is, whether you have a database of 5,000 or of 500,000, there is a way that you can tailor that information that you're getting out that will lead to the creation of a relationship that will result in a gift at the highest capacity the donor has. Now, some of that high capacity may be a major gift. It could be a planned gift. It may, my capacity gift in my lifetime may be $250. But the point is, I'm giving to capacity because I think that you really do care about me and you know me. And that's really kind of what Beyond Fundraising is all about because it's based on the notion. In fact, a funny story, Ted, which you may not even be aware of because I didn't know you when I first published the book, which was in 1997, is that when it came out, and the subtitle being, you know, New Strategies for Nonprofit Innovation and Investment, Investment was so not connected with the nonprofit sector at that time that I actually had colleagues, fellow professionals, who called me and said, what do you mean putting the word investment on the cover of a book about fundraising? That's how it was in 1997. Thirteen years later, it's all about investment. It's all about social investment. People talk about return on investment as it applies to our sector. And we have come so far, so fast, and I can't even anticipate the changes that are going to keep unfolding. Well, Kay, you've always been known as someone who's who's not only uh, cutting edge and knows what's happening in our sector, but also very grounded uh, in what works. And I have, I have a pleasure of bringing someone here onto uh, page two with you, uh, someone who uh, actually has a question for you, uh, Kay, but also uh, wants to uh, thank you as I thank you for writing the introduction uh, to the book Major Donors, uh, because uh, Pam Janak is one of the co-editors uh, and authors of this book, and she's decided to call in to get a chance to say hello to you. Uh, Pam, welcome here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you very much, Ted. Merry Christmas to you and to Kay, and, and for taking the time to do this for us today. Well, thank you, Pam. How nice, uh, to, how nice to hear your voice. <laughs> um, I'm just calling because, as you know, uh, being an editor on that book and, and having spoken to you a number of times on and off over the years and right. having read your book from 1997 as well as your other publications, which are all very helpful, um, I'm now on the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, in that I'm with a small shop, a small local shop, uh, it's part of a national charity, but it's very much a small organization with the people and the fact that we don't even have a database or even a donor base, so so to speak. And I was wondering, I, I recognize that you said that it's about uh, that we're there because we meet the need, not because okay. we're creating the need. I was wondering if you could put a little bit more behind that messaging for me. Uh, I have a very engaged board. Uh, They're very active, um, but they're not well-connected or related. So just how I can uh, capture their energy and their thoughts beyond special events. 
Ah, Beyond Special Events. There would be the title yeah. for another book, right? Um, <laughs> I think it is. I really do. <laughs> yeah, I really do, too. And and uh, the late Alan Wendroff did actually write a wonderful book called Special Events, uh, which he published with Wiley. But um, I think that engage, if, if the board is engaged, you're more than halfway there. You're more than halfway there. And I think in terms of having board members with either deep pockets themselves or connections to deep pockets, I think that is the challenge of small organizations. And yet, it doesn't have to be um, a limitation. And I think what it requires, if first of all, is a strategic development plan. And that, to me, is the missing piece with most organizations that say, oh, my gosh, I don't even know how we're going to do this. We don't have the right board. And I say, well, what do you mean the right board? And, well, you know, you know what they describe. And I'll say, well, what does it call for in your plan? Well, then <laughs> they say, well, we don't have a plan. We have a strategic plan, but we don't really have a development plan. And I will say to them, you have to have a development plan because only then will the board see how they can be helpful. And I did a little book last October uh, through an independent publisher. It's just kind of a little how-to book uh, on AAA boards. And AAA stands for Ambassador, Advocate, and Asker. And it is a very simple guide to building the confidence in your board members that they can be participates in development even if they are terrified of fundraising or feel that they don't have the right links. And so it's based on the, the theory that when a person is confident about his or own, her own skills and their ability to deploy them on your behalf, then in fact what happens is that they become much more enthused board members. And it's really a management tool, but it requires a development plan. But you can reverse engineer. You can say, well, what would I like all my board as ambassadors to do? Well, obviously, there's things you'd like them to do, even at those special events. Who are my advocates? Who can really master the case, be part of a speaker's bureau, get out there in the community, really talk about us, know what they're doing? And then, of course, finally, who can be our askers, and whether that's writing a letter or sitting down face-to-face. They choose what they want to do, which taps into their motivation. And this has been implemented in hundreds of organizations now. And every single one of them, small and large, report that, in fact, board members, when they choose their own tasks that are, deve- are based on your, you know, your desires for their involvement in development, that they actually do it. And they actually, you have a grid, a spreadsheet that allows you to kind of monitor it. But what is very important is that they see that they can be helpful relative to development. And that way in a small shop, and I was a small shop once, what it allowed me to do when I was in this children's services agency, because I had the board kind of deployed and doing the things that they loved to do, then I was more freed up to write the grants, do the build a corporate fundraising program, and then when a capital campaign rolled around years later, we were able to form a capital campaign committee that had a couple of board members, but in fact were people that were the deep pockets and connection to deep pockets, but who were very, very persuaded of how important this, this program was. So it's um, 
I would say if you have an engaged board uh, that you are you're halfway home. Thank you. That um, that pretty much confirms what I'm doing and what I've already been doing. It, but it's always good to hear that uh, coming from someone else, especially someone I respect, such as you. So thank you well, so much. Well, thank you. Well, I, I'm sure that if that's the direction you're heading, and that little book, um, the AAA, it's on my website. If you go on my website and click on the books, you'll see at the bottom of all the Wiley books, you'll see <laughs> this little book. <laughs> the little book. I will do yeah, that. Yeah, it's a little book. It's a, it's a little book, and it's called The AAA Way to Fundraising. And Kayla, let's make sure that we give everybody your, your website. Where can folks oh. find you online? Okay, it's www.kgrace.org. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kay. Yeah, well, thanks, Pam. Good luck to you. That's great. Thank you. Yes, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's thank very you different. so much for calling very in, good. Pam. And, and, Pam, thank you for your involvement uh, in the terrific book that uh, that we co-edited and authored along with uh, Jim Greenfield and Christopher Carney uh, called Major Donors. Uh, but, Kay, back to you. I'm, I've got my eye on, on the clock. It's uh, always amazing how fast time goes by. Uh, but yeah. we do have uh, an email that uh, came in from Nancy uh, in Detroit, and, and I gather she must have your book because she's specifically asking you uh, for tips for a successful board retreat. Ah, successful board retreats. And, um, yes, that is covered in the book. In fact, down to a formulaic measure that even surprises me when I looked at it. But the first thing that, that – well, a couple of quick tips about board retreats. First of all, the board needs to be involved in planning it. The, the board retreats that have either not happened or have crashed and burned are the ones where the staff decides that the board needs a retreat and that they plan it themselves, and they say there will be a retreat on this date, and you will be there, and you will like it. So get a board planning committee. The biggest thing that I think in a board retreat relative to its success is that there be at least 75% of your board there. And I know that there are people that just can't make it for one reason or another. But if you have poor attendance, then you may as well not have the retreat, and I think that that really is um, something that I see ignored way too often. And they'll say, oh, you know, only about half of our board is here. I wish everybody could have heard this. Well, you know, everybody should have heard it. The should other, have heard it, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The other uh, thing is that I honestly feel, unless there is a very sensitive personnel or financial issue that is the purpose of the board retreat, that as many staff as is appropriate should be at the retreat. And people say, oh, well, we've never done that before. You know, this has always just been the board's thing. And I said, yes, and how much time do you spend then having to inform the staff of what happened at the board retreat and what the next steps are? And I recently had an experience uh, with an organization that had never had any staff at all at their board retreat. And I insisted, because of where they are and what they're doing, I said, you've got to have people there. Well, it was the best experience they ever had. The guy called me the next day, and he said, I can't believe we never did this before. And yeah, so, you know, uh, Kay, one of the, I wonder what you think about this. One of the things that I've started uh, doing is actually moving away from uh, the nomenclature of board retreat, yeah. which has all sorts of different views, and people have positive and negative views of that to actually just calling it a board strategy session. 
Yeah, or um, And that seems you know? to get people's head around yeah. the, what you're talking about is something that I very much believe in as well, and that is it's as much team building as it is strategy and retreat. Absolutely. And I am not a believer, and I don't know if I'm, you know, treading on any toes here, but I am not a believer in, like, games to get people, you know, to team build. I think what you can do is Oh, my God, thank you for saying that. I absolutely (laughs) detest those. I'd rather slip my wrist than be participating in those. Me too. I would rather be rendered mute, you know, than than have to do it. That being said, I recently did a a day-long session uh, planning session for an organization where it was the board, but it was also some auxiliary members. It was quite a complex organization, and they wanted one of those activities. And I, you know, ah, I bit the bullet. And actually, for them, it worked because it was their culture. This is what they like to do. And yeah, uh, it's very much part of the culture. I, I I agree. But you know, when it seems phony and feels phony, it is phony. Yes, and not only that, I this this retreat I was just talking about, not the one that had the auxiliaries, but the other one where they engaged staff, they had traditionally had um, either a little activity or breakout groups. And as he looked at the agenda, he said, that wouldn't work here, would it? Because we were doing different things. And I said, no. I said, and the thing is, it's it's not authentic. You know, it's just not authentic if you – all of a sudden, oh well, it's time for that activity. What I do, um, what I do like, is I use a visioning exercise which I learned from a hospital administrator probably 20 years ago. And when I'm doing a planning retreat, the vision exercise is a wonderful team builder icebreaker, and it's the simple one where you ask people to break up into groups. You give them a list of things to review relative to the organization, and they are to create a newspaper article about the organization that they would be reading at a period five or ten years um, you know, hence. And what comes out of it that is so exciting is that it is the commonality of these various visions. You could have as many as five different groups, and there are threads that run from one group to the next. So people begin to see that they're more or less, if they're not on the same page, they're at least in the same chapter. But then they also see really uncommon ideas. And the debrief from that exercise is, you know, what were the common themes? What are the uncommon ideas? And then from that, you break them out into program organization and development uh, and they're off and running in terms of goals. It is a very simple planning process and very engaging. Gee, as always, you are full of great ideas. Your book is a phenomenal book and one that every office should have beyond fundraising, second edition. Kay Sprinkle Grace, thank you for being our inaugural uh, lecturer and speaker here on uh, the Nonprofit Coaches, page two of the very first AFP Wiley radio show. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Ted, for inviting me. It was really a pleasure. And happy holidays to everybody. And happy New Year. Happy holidays to you as well. Uh, And we're just wrapping up the show here. And just to remind everybody, the Nonprofit Coach will take the next couple of weeks off uh, for the holidays and wish everyone around the world a very, very pleasant holiday season. We will be back here 
uh, on the nonprofit coach on January 11th. Uh, and our speaker then, our page two expert, will be Mike Johnson, uh, who is a longtime expert in online fundraising and the integration with to- with traditional fundraising. Uh, and he will be here on the Nonprofit Coach on January 11th. Everyone, enjoy your holidays. We'll see you back after the new year. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye.